Welcome to Dosed. And if this is your first time tuning into Dosed, thanks for being here. I do want to highlight not all of these episodes, probably not many, will be PG. And the areas and stories we cover span across science, spirituality, the mind, the body, alternative lifestyle and, and healing. And you may find some of these views or stories conflicting with your own personal beliefs. Uh, and if you are upset by them or ultimately don't like thinking for yourself, the good news is Love Island is coming back on the TV so you can go and tune into that. Otherwise, thanks and uh, enjoy this next episode. This episode of Dosed is brought to you by Oblack Caps. So Oblack Caps, they provided refuge for me when I was stuck in the classic scroll hole on Instagram. Um, and yellow being my favorite color, their, their latest cap, which I'm wearing today, uh, Phosphate, totally jumped out with me. Um, so I ended up ordering it, ordering it from, from Instagram or Amazon, I think it was at that point, um, with no, if I'm honest, no expectations. When it arrived though, bam, oh my God, like the, the quality, the style, the colors, like really pop. And for me, uh, comparing this to other caps I've, I've uh, recently purchased, these are, if not the best, one of the best on the market at the moment. Um, but if I'm honest, this, that's not, um, you know, the style and everything is not really what captured me. Um, it's when I read their mission, which I'm going to read out to you guys, um, that was really, it just grabbed me, grabbed me by the nuts. Um, uh, and their mission statement is, our goal is to change the concept that people have of being a black sheep. Many look at these people as the displaced, misfits, or those who do not fit into the current mold set. But we see them as real people without fear of what people say, people who are true to their values and don't conform to the status quo. Harnessing this power as their innate gift, dedicating it to what they love and creating their own path for their life. What a fucking statement. <laughs> um, for me, that was like, wow, this is incredible. And um, I think if you are feeling, feeling that um, and you want to embrace your, your inner black sheep, go and buy an O-Black cap. We also have a discount code because they are proud, you know, we're, uh, we're proud to be uh, to having them as our sponsors. So if you keep listening through the show, we will, I will drop the discount code so you get money off these awesome caps. And we're live. Nice. Joe Webster, how are you? I'm how good, How the Jamie. devil are you? This <laughs> has been um, what feels like a hundred years. Yeah. Since we last um, I hope visual conversation anyway. I hope you enjoyed that photo I sent. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, wearing a black shirt and a white tie. It's, it wasn't a good look then, even now. So um, no, I, I don't think I was doing any better, to be honest. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, really good. So just obviously kind of fill everyone in. Um, obviously, Joe and I uh, used to work together. Um, at a small insurance, online insurance company many many moons ago 13 14 years ago yeah. um and obviously we've not i've not seen you since but i think um uh, i don't know what it was i don't know where, where did obviously you reached out to me so you, i think we something think happened anyway some of the stuff that you were doing with the few app and you yeah. know i saw that you were doing this podcast and i was like you know seems like jamie's doing something in a similar area than me so hmm. why not make contact and well, and to be honest, yes, that was a couple of months ago, and that was the first time I'd, I'd ever even heard the word Feldenkrais. So, yeah. um, obviously, at that point, I was like, okay, I should probably do a little bit of digging, just kind of understand. Well, first, make sure I'm saying the name right. Yeah. Um, You're doing good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but 
Yeah, I guess today it'd be um, obviously we're going to delve into to kind of what, what Feldenkrais is, you know, the benefits and, and everything yeah. else. But um, I guess it'd be for me to start with, really, as we're just probably we're catching up. Yeah. Obviously, I remember back then, like you were the um, you were always dressed in black. You had like you know very you were like the martial arts kid, let's say, yeah. Um, yeah. Back, back then. So. Um, you could you could maybe say that it's always you've always been on this path, but was there was there something even before that? That because I remember you were into Tai Chi. Is it Tai mm -hmm. Chi? Is that right? Yeah, uh, so I've been doing Tai Chi for about twenty years or so. Um, right, I see. So, and so what? So what? What got you onto Tai Chi in the first? You know, so why would you? As it someone so, at a younger age, why would you get into that? I mean, sort of just kind of going into like obviously as a teenager and going through school and you know experiencing different things like you know dealing with bullying and stuff like that there was a part of me that was kind of like how do I protect myself and I think that my initial but well, I mean yeah my initial interest in martial arts as a 16 year old kind of came from that angle um, a little bit like you know I'm someone that's kind of growing in the world I need to be able to like look after myself um, but I you know in some way I'd I'd studied karate and judo when I was like 10 my mum had taken me to classes so I'd kind of always been doing that that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and then when I was 16, I studied with um, a jujitsu teacher who um, was a crazy guy. Um, he um, basically like, you know, through like I studied with him for about six months quite intensively. Okay. Um, and it was a one on one training. So it wasn't like a class. It was specific. Like I'd go there and I train with him for an hour, come back the next week, train again. And I just remember that whole time, like, you know, I learned, I learned a massive amount. Mm -hmm. One particular example of that is that, you know, in jujitsu, there's all these kind of like grappling and locks and stuff. Um, and one of the things that I remember him doing with me, um, and there's a number of interesting ones, but was to get me into a particular lock that I did not feel any way that I could get out of, you know, like I was completely trapped Wow. and he, and he was just like, and try and, and keep trying try again try and get out of it and he was just like literally like that was half an hour of class just like wow. how do you get out of this situation um and i think you know moments like that kind of inspired me on a on a journey in myself mm -hmm. um but then kind of after that um i you know there was a there was a little bit of me that was a little bit like uh why am i coming out of each class feeling like I'm the one that's being beaten up. <laughs> You're trying to get out of it. <laughs> I'm right. Yeah, for half an hour, it's going so, to be a natural thing. Exactly, yeah. So I was coming out with bruises all over, like, you know, just feeling like, you know, so what's the point in learning how to protect myself if I've got to hurt myself in the process? Hmm. So that, um, I don't know, it was kind of that thing that, led me more into the uh, internal martial arts mm -hmm. um so the internal martial arts would like define themselves as the soft styles so for example tai chi bagua and zing yi wow okay whereas hard style martial arts are um you know karate kickboxing anything that kind of is more muscular yeah more physical so you know like i you know I mean, I was a, an interested teenager and I was watching Kung Fu films of all varieties, learning about some pretty like wacky ideas coming out of China, mm -hmm. um, you know, like mystical 
sword play and all sorts of stuff that you've seen in Hero and you know so you know I think I was kind of interested in that side of things like the side that was slightly unexplainable maybe a little bit magic um, and that led me on a journey to like buying books trying um, you know different techniques myself and eventually getting myself in a little bit of trouble in that sense um, because I'd basically done techniques that I didn't have a teacher to teach me about and you know it, it didn't end well um, and searching for an actual teacher I see okay um, so at that point I was 18 and I was working in um I was working in millets I don't know if you remember millets from back in the day the camping store oh yes I do yeah yeah, yeah. okay so, I, so I was working in millets as an 18 year old mm-hmm. and um, you know I'd kind of in my head I was like I need to pay attention I need to like you know put this out there into the universe like ask for some help with this um, so I was working one day in, um, in my millet store and this woman comes in. I've never met this woman before. She goes around the shop, collects a couple of things, like I'm going camping, I need to buy this and buy that. Um, and then she comes to pay. And as she's paying, she's using a checkbook um, and the checkbook's almost empty. So you know, like the old school checkbooks. Oh God, and yeah, okay. And they've, and they've got the tabs on them, on, yep, on yep. the left, right? So the, like this checkbook was like down to maybe two or three left. Um, so she'd used all 49 of them or whatever. And on the very top one uh, was written Tai Chi 37. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> wow. And then she basically said, I don't normally carry this around with me. Um, I happen to have a leaflet. I haven't been in two years, but I happen to have a leaflet in my bag today um, for this particular subject. And this is a guy that taught in Belgium completely not something available in London. He was teaching in Belgium. She'd been to his course two years ago. Just that day, she happened to have the leaflet in her handbag and gave it to me. Um, and from there, I connected with my teacher. And Jeez, you know, wow. Yeah. That is like, <laughs> that's, that's almost like you say it's meant to be at that point. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, it, it feels like that. So I mean, slim. Yeah, I, I was meant to meet that person at that time in my life. and. It's, I've definitely learned a lot. Like he was a master, he yeah. was a qigong master. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And and um, so talk us through then the, the how how do you go about studying for to tai chi? Because I mean, uh, you know, for those that may know bits about it or not, typically in my mind, previously before this, uh, before us um, having conversations. Yeah, I would. I would typically think, okay, you have the visions of like the old people in in the the Japanese gardens, the Chinese gardens, and they're just kind of doing the slow movements, etc. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, how how is that? How, you know, what what's, what's the true reflection of, of what Tai Chi is? Sure. Um, so Tai Chi um, comes from a martial arts system. Mm-hmm. Um, so underneath all of the um, the movements that you see, um, these old people doing there is a, um, a fighting application for it. Um, so each of those postures, each of those movements has an intention mm-hmm. and that intention is obviously um, uh, done in combination with another person and it's you know used to either throw someone or strike someone or whatever. Um, but the, the purpose of the, the slow movements, and I think this is something that ties in with Feldenkrais and you know we can get into that afterwards, but 
the purpose of the slow movements is so that you can learn good body organization without enacting a lot of muscle tension. Um, so if you do something quickly, you're not going to notice all the fine detail in it. Um, whereas if you do something slowly, you're going to become aware of everything that you're doing. You're going to be able to m like manage what you're doing and we'll keep your on. effort level, keep your muscles yeah. coordinated. So the, the principle in Tai Chi is really to do with like using your whole body in each movement. Mm. Um, and again, you know, these are things that I think tie in massively with Feldenkrais. Um, to do with uh, use of the, the force through the bones. Um, so instead of like, you know, using muscles to do work um, in Tai Chi and in Feldenkrais, there's this idea that you're using bones to create strength and force. So that if I want to push someone, I'm using my whole skeletal structure rather than specific muscles. And of course, all the muscles are there. But if you think about like, you know, the, the, the force that uh, the bone can take, Mm -hmm. along the, the length of the bone it's massively different than the amount of contractile force that a muscle has you know of course okay yeah i mean that that would i would assume that's why you know when you um see um in typically uh african countries or even actually some some asian countries people are holding stuff on their head mm -hmm. is that would that be because of the 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 strength of the spine the compressed spine at that point um yeah i think the spine's a little different in that okay. the the it's not i mean there's joints throughout the whole skeletal structure mm -hmm. so it's the same in some sense mm -hmm. um but the spine has these little car cartilag Cartils, cartilaginous yeah. discs in between it so it's not sort of um it's not as strong as a, a, a bone uh, like a yeah, theme. So exactly. So one of the stories that came out of Feldenkrais is if you're in a lying position and you've got your knee standing, right? Mm -hmm. So you're lying on your back and you've got your knee standing, mm -hmm. uh, your foot standing, so your knees bent, that an elephant could sit down. If your knees well aligned, an elephant could sit down on your knee and the shin bone would be able to take the force of that elephant. Um, so, wow. Yeah, but it's, but it's to do with the alignment and because the way that bone is made, it's made to deal with forces in certain directions. Right. I see. And obviously when we have breaks and stuff like that, what's happened is either there's uh, torque in the, in the system mm -hmm. at the same time as you're trying to put force through it, or there's impact across the bone. That's really interesting. So, so you're basically saying, um, if the force is um, kind of going downward rather than across it, yeah. then um, then then there's more there's more strength. There's, there's a massive amount of strength. Yeah, yeah. and I, I can attest to that actually because I uh, uh, actually the whole reason I well led to being the reason I, I'm I'm in Malta. But I when I first came here, I had a quad bike accident. Mm -hmm. I was um, being an idiot chasing chasing after my mate. Um, down down the road which you know i was coming down so we were going down hills like this yeah and that's a those of those that are listening up you know uh some some gradients um and on the way down i must have been clocking 60 70 miles an hour and i was thinking and this is on a narrow road as well like you know two cars to get past is is not impossible because yeah. it's just a one way um and I thought, okay, I need to pull the brakes uh, because this is, I'm going too fast. <laughs> and in doing so, the, the brake pads are slightly off. So then that veered me just onto the barriers 
flipped up basically oh onto my head, but then oh. immediately thought about getting my feet down and, and up because I was worried about the bike rolling on top of me. Yeah. Um, and managed to do so as I did so, you know, and this is at like, I'm going at some pace, like I landed literally on my head and then rolled straight, straight up and jumped up. Nice. Um, you know, it was probably, this must have been a, at least a 40 mile an hour roll. Wow. Uh, but what had happened, like, I didn't, I actually, there were, there were no problems I, other than a dislocation to my big toe. Yeah. Um, where, you know, and that's probably because I imagine then because of the bone, you're, you know, so if it was a weak bone, perhaps then it would have, would have snapped or if maybe it was coming from a different angle. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, it's to do with talk. So for example, like, you know, anything that's kind of like you're doing something that like is twisting along the length of it as you're putting pressure through it. Mm. Whereas if you're like, you know, it's the same, like you just said about the, the quad bike and braking. Mm -hmm. It's pretty well known that you brake in a straight line. You don't brake when you're turning. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. As soon as you try and brake when you're turning, it's you're liable to, to have an accident. Yeah. You brake in a straight line, even in Formula One at like 300 miles an hour, right? You brake in a straight line and then you turn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And which is okay. the same. It's the same as bone, basically. Yeah, nice. Wow. So, um, just to finish up then on Tai Chi. So, uh, so what did it involve? Is there any actual studying involved? Um, so I can appreciate a, um, you've got a nice skeleton and, and everything behind you. Um, but w was there, was it all pure, was it kind of physical kind of training or was there any kind of... Um, uh, uh, so I would say, yeah. So I'd say, I'd say that mostly it's physical training, mm -hmm. but um, the, the, the system of Tai Chi has underneath it a, a kind of deeper philosophy. Sure. Um, so the yin yang philosophy which obviously most people are familiar with but maybe they don't know the the scope of it um so for example in tai chi um just if i shift my weight from one side of my body to the other they would consider that the, the side that i'm shifting my weight onto that becomes my standing leg and that's a yang energy so it's full right wow Whereas yeah. the stand that the, the side that i'm not standing on that's empty and that's a yin energy, right? So then there's this constant play as I'm going through the form of changing between yin and yang. And that's, you know, the kind of the philosophy underneath it in some way you could say is like a spiritual practice. Um, like the, the, be the beginning position of the Tai Chi form in all Tai Chi forms is called Wuji. Um, and it's the place before uh, the division of yin and yang. Um, so you start in that and then you come into activity um, in activity it splits into opposites um, and then you kind of go through the form and then at the end you go back to that place of being in between opposites okay wow no, okay it's really yeah. <laughs> it's, there's so much to it which is um uh which is which is good to at least kind of like scratch the surface on so before we then jump straight into kind of Feldenkrais and you know what you're doing with it, yeah. uh, it'd be good to to maybe kind of get a bit of bit of history on mm. on on Feldenkrais. So, so uh, he was a uh, his name is Mo Moshi Moshi Moshe Moshe Moshe, Moshe yeah. Feldenkrais. Yeah. Um, uh, so so it'd be good to kind of hear a bit about him, his background, and you know how how this this kind of uh, uh, method all came about. For sure. So I mean, you know, segueing from the martial arts stuff, hmm. he. Um, he was an avid martial artist mm -hmm. um, and 
um, to his detriment at some certain times in his life, I would say. Um, but he, um, so he moved, and I, I think we spoke about this briefly before, but he moved when he was 13, he left his family um, and he moved to, um, to Israel. Yeah, I'm saying that would be. Yeah, so like you know, a couple of people in my life that have made a decision at 13 to kind of like head out on their own, Mm -hmm. and they've also they've always had something a little bit unique about them, you know, like unique in a good way, Um, you know. And I think that he had this, I don't know, self drive or self belief from a really young age. And it took him in some pretty interesting directions in his life. Mm. Um, so when he was over there, he um, uh, was part of uh, the Haganah, which was like an Israeli defense force. Okay. And, um, and when was this exactly? Was this the 50s, 60s? No, this was early. This was 1920 or so. 19, okay. Yeah, between 1920 and 1930, I think. Okay. Um, so I think, and I can't remember exactly the the situation, the hit, like political situation, um, but there was a lot of um, oppression and people kind of uh, routinely getting beaten on streets by one particular faction that I think was the government. Right. Um, and um, he basically was part of this defense force where he was reading books about jujitsu, um, understanding the techniques, teaching them to other people so that these people who were lay people could pr- protect themselves um you know from this oppression nice that's good um at the same time what he did was i mean he was you know he was reading across a variety of subjects i think i heard somewhere that he read about 10,000 books in his lifetime wow um, yeah <laughs> and, and, and blinkist wasn't around then either so it doesn't really count <laughs> so proper reading wow it's yeah, incredible um but he um, he was studying, or he he came up with this particular technique that was um, utilizing our natural flinching response to an incoming object, um, and he put on a martial technique on the top of it. And this is something that he got an idea from a, a biologist called Pavlov. Um, that's basically to do with. Um, adding on um adding on behavior onto a habitual response um so our habitual responses are something that's innate to us we react in certain ways if i throw something to you you close your eyes you know maybe you do something with your arm like you know maybe you clench your stomach those are like inbuilt primitive responses and we don't have much control over them what we do have control over is like what we like the what we connect with them um so if that's something that's very quick like fast twitch and you're going to react very quickly if you can then learn to kind of carry that on to an into a specific technique it's going to have all the the power and the speed response of that natural response exactly wow Um, so so later on he um he moved to france and he met uh jigaro kano who was the founder of judo, who had traveled over to, to France with the retinue of people. Um, and he- the founder of judo yeah. as well. Fine. Yeah. So someone, <laughs> someone who, who knew um, Feldenkrais had given Kano uh, Feldenkrais's book that he'd written on self-defense um, for this Israeli defense force. 
Um, and within it, there was this technique that was um, the addition of a technique on top of a, you know, a primitive response. Mm. Um, Kano basically invited Feldenkrais to dinner with this whole Japanese retinue of his and asked him to demonstrate this technique to him. Um, <laughs> Over dinner, like just throwing throwing the salt and pepper at him or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so he he did it, um, and um, Kano was very impressed. Um, he said, "You haven't thought about this aspect." I mean, he asked him to do it again, and Moshe realised that within about five seconds he was blacking out. Um, so what was happening was that as he continued to do the technique on Jigaro Kano, there was pressure being applied on his own throat. Um, and it was blocking an artery, and then at some point he passed out. So obviously you see the skill of um, Kano, or Kano. Um, and after that, but despite that, he was very impressed that this Westerner had come up with a technique that hadn't been thought about within the whole doctrine of Judo, mm. and then incorporated it within the doctrine of Judo after that. Um, wow. So, What, what a meeting yeah. of minds. Can you imagine, yeah. that? imagine being at that dinner going, Jeez. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so just to finish that that little story, then um, um, Kano was like, "You're obviously someone that you know knows a lot about this stuff. I want you to be the representative of judo um, in Europe." Um, and so Feldenkrais started the first um, judo school in Paris, 1930s, 1935, something like that. Um, and that um, judo school is still running and it's got a plaque on it um, to this day with his name really? on it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's incredible. Fine, yeah. okay. So, so there's, there's some close alignment then, obviously, to, to, to judo and, and Feldenkrais, yeah. right? And actually, I, I do remember um, seeing that he, he kept or he, he used this method that it, it almost looked like he was falling over on a, on a banana peel kept mm -hmm. doing this to, to, to I can't remember exactly what it was for I just remember watching something yeah uh, someone was doing the doing the movement um, yeah. to try and prove something do, do you know yeah. do you know much about that yeah so I think that um, you know one of the issues that he had um, which is I think what how the Feldenkrais method kind of evolved or like how it came out was that he damaged his knee really really badly um, and um, he did that playing soccer when he was I don't know, maybe in his 20s or something. Um, and uh, it had been an issue for him. Um, at a certain point, he re-injured it. Um, and um, because he re-injured it, he uh, sought medical advice. And there was a point where they said, uh, because of the surgeons and what they were capable of at that time, uh, you've got a 50-50 chance of being able to use your leg after we operate. Um, yeah great so, odds <laughs> okay so, wow. so essentially he was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna do this myself i'm clever i understand this stuff i can you know listen to my body and what he did from that point was kind of go on a journey in himself to understand how he used his knee um and how his knee was um you know maybe because of habits that he'd developed through his life not operating in a way that was good for him or you know helping him um so he spent a lot of time working on the stability of his knee and one of the ways that he would do that um, was obviously testing the stability of his knee 
Um, so he had had quite a lot of damage, and I can't remember exactly the type of damage. The cruciate um, ligament, maybe? Or? Yeah, I think I think he had destroyed a cruciate ligament or two. Wow. Um, Which is but, you know, that's horrific. Yeah. There was there was a large amount of damage, and I don't think that he could that he could use his knee in a way that most of us can. Right. Um, but he had learned very well how force travels through his knee. Um, from the top bone to the bottom bone and he had learned it in very fine detail in himself um, so you know what we were talking about earlier to do with force transmission he had through kind of more meditative practices or you know listening and making small movements he had understood the fine connection between those two bones mm. and how weight went through it effectively um, so that he didn't get in more trouble by twisting it and using it wrong um, so the, the banana skin thing, I think, was just a, you know, a way of him testing his integrity. Um, so, you know, if you've got an issue um, and you kind of want to, like, I think people do that now with injuries, where they go on those little wobble boards or something after an injury. Ah, uh, yeah, you got the. Um, uh, I've seen, I've seen that here at Malta where in the rehab, in the physio rehab, where in they the rehab places, yeah, you go on one leg and stand yeah. up on it. Yeah, you're on yeah. a, a half. Yeah. Ooh, and it's just it's just to test the integrity and i think that's all he was doing and he was learning i mean he was a judo fan so he wasn't afraid of falling over yeah. um, and that's like a fundamental aspect of you know the development out of judo into feldenkrais mm. has to do with falling yeah. um his his first book was called um uh oh, i can't remember the exact title but it has in it anxiety gravitation and sexual potency um <laughs> and how he connected those three things was pretty impressive um okay. so um in relation to falling in judo what he learned from judo was that um in order to not be um you need to learn to fall well in order to not be afraid of falling um okay. right sense. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. And and the fear of falling is one of those very primitive things that is affecting us all the time. Mm. Um, so, you know, we understand anxiety in a, in a specific way and it's psychological and it has a physiological response to it. But you can um, make a very clear correlation between the physical manifestation of anxiety and the physical uh, manifestation of someone who's about to fall. Um, the way that the muscular system contracts in order to deal with the falling state is very similar to what happens with an anxiety state. So he was kind of in a point in time where there was a lot of interesting thought coming out of the, the West, Freud, Jung, you know, a lot of psychology, a lot of, you know, mind body divides, what it all means, you know, Descartes, all of this like, you know classic french philosophy and he was interested he was an interested guy um so he basically like went through the process of studying um what he believed the correlation between anxiety and gravity um so in the way that he understood it in terms of judo the more stable you are um in fact, I'll give you an example. We can stand easier. Uh, sorry, we can. It's more difficult for us to stand still than it is for us to move. So I don't know if you've ever heard the um, 
like those soldiers that have to stand for really long hours and stand in one position. Uh, Chinese, Chinese soldiers, aren't they? Or... I don't know, Russian soldiers or, you know, I think even like, you know, the British guys that stand in front of yeah, yeah. Um, stand in front of Buckingham Palace, but you know, in standing for so long, standing still for so long, there are people that actually pass out because it's actually relatively difficult to stand still for so long. Mm. But moving, we're very comfortable with movement. We can keep moving for you know a long period of time. Um, so, one of the the things that kind of comes out of judo is that, um, of course, you need stability, but it's dynamic. Um, so you don't want to be like strong and stable. You want to be mobile and stable um so for example if you're falling over um falling over in itself is not a bad thing if you can refine stability and refine stability refine it so it's this kind of like recovery process rather than like i'm gonna stay exactly where i am and you're not gonna move me which i think kind of ties in with the internal versus external martial arts as well you know the external martial arts is I'm going to assert myself, I'm going to whack you from my position and you're going to fall over. Yeah. Whereas the internal martial arts were, okay, you want to do that? I'm just going to stand here and you're going to come towards me and I'm going to use your force and you're going to go over there. Yeah, I see. Okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, you could actually, if you look at um, stunt, uh, stunt actors, for example, um, when, they, when they're jumping from a higher height, then they go straight into a role, right? Just yep. to take the the those the come from off. judo and aikido, yeah. Yeah, of course. Wow, that makes total sense. Um, so, I mean, just kind of going back to the anxiety and, and and falling thing, that you know we have these patterns in us from uh, our evolutionary past. So, for example, you know, if you believe in that, um, I'm hopeful that we can talk about it in that way. Um, that you know, you know, our, in our I studied anthropology, so like I, you know, spent some time at university kind of looking at the evolution of man and, you know, where we came from and where we split from primates and stuff like that. But I mean, essentially, you know, in our evolutionary past, we were um, in trees and using our arms in very different ways to, to we do now. Um, and part of that, and you see it in the baby's response to how they can hold on to something, mm -hmm. even though they don't have muscle tone, the baby can actually hang on something when it's born. So it can... Really? Yeah, it clenches its fist. There's, there's a video. I can send it to you. Oh, wow. I'll have to try yeah. that. Yeah. The baby can clench its fist and be lifted up by it. And that's because of our evolutionary past to do with either holding on to our mum when she's moving through, um, you know, trees, branches, mm. or holding on to something, um, you know, for safety. Um, so there's a, um, an inherent, uh, like gripping or holding onto something that is related to safety in our system. Yeah. I see. So, right. So, and you know, the threat of falling, um, is something that is also there evolutionarily. If we were to fall from a tree, that would be quite bad. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. the, um, the thing that relates how he relates it to anxiety is this contraction of the body to deal with falling or to try and regain safety is something that then becomes habitual. Um, and, you know, maybe in a breathing lesson I could teach to do with holding the breath. So holding the breath is one way that we contract the system to refine safety. 
But obviously you can see from holding the breath that you don't really want to do that all the time. You know, it's not, it's not beneficial for you to be holding your breath when you need new oxygen. So if you've yeah, got that as a habitual response to life, then obviously it's going to restrict you in some way. Yeah, yeah. Um, the same thing with muscular contraction, the tighter you are, um, and this is, you know, one of the things that I love kind of like pointing out, if you ever see a bodybuilder um, and you, you know, those guys are like muscled up to their eyeballs. Um, but if you look at how they move, right? If you just watch how, like, there's no fluidity. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, and all of that is because the muscles are so um, like, so worked and so tight yeah. that there actually isn't much uh, range of motion anymore. Yeah, of course. That's why they yeah. cut, that's why they struggle to wipe their ass when they're Yeah, wounded. exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, what that shows is that as human beings, it's possible for us to develop, like, and I say develop habits that aren't helpful for us. Mm. So you can develop as a bodybuilder and you can be the best bodybuilder in the world, but at the end of it, you might not be able to like, I don't know, get in your car very well or, you know, like be, you, be a functional human being in other ways. Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, and these kind of patterns, these habits that we have, whether it's postural, breathing, psychological, they, um, in some way, if we've kind of got this response of like everything tightening and closing, then we um, reduce our mobility to, to, to finer and finer degrees. Mm. And to the point that we actually feel that we can't move. Um, and um, that's a very frustrating feeling in itself. Um, so there's some connection between kind of like openness, systematic openness and possibility, um, that, you know, if you've kind of got a lot of fear or trauma or, you know, things like that, that, you know, you've had things in your life that have in some way emotionally made you contract, mm -hmm. um, then that contraction is also, uh, uh, along with being a safety mechanism, it's also, um, a restriction if it's habitual. So is there a way then to, is this how Feldenkrais can help un, undo all this? You know, is, is, there, is this where, this is where it kind of starts? Is you come into, um, is this where you can help people then really, you know, people that uh, suffer not only just from trauma, but just, just in general, you know, just being able to kind of un, untangle some of these unnatural tensions yeah so like we all have habits right we have habits of walking we have habits of because that's the way that we've developed mm -hmm. we've developed like um i've learned how to walk by making this movement it might not be the ideal movement but i've learned how to walk so i'm just going to stick with it <laughs> mm. um, and you know like all of the things that we do whether it's writing or you know even like looking with eyesight you know, all of the things that we do, we've, we've learned uh, an ability or we've learned to do it in a way that's very individual to us, different to everyone else. And if it's, um, if it's sufficient or just about sufficient for the purpose that we've got it for, we don't think we ever, we don't think of ever improving it. So most people don't think unless they've got an issue, I could improve how I walk. Or, yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like running and you go, oh yeah, I kind of run a bit funny, but it works. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I think that the Feldenkrais method, one of the things that it does really well is it provides a, a platform for people to investigate their own habits, to work with them and potentially make changes to do with how they're organized. Um, so for example, someone that maybe has a, um, you know, like trauma or anxiety pattern or something like that, which is something that I've had in my life as well. Um, uh, that as you do a Feldenkrais lesson and your system learns that it can uh, not hold itself in situations that it's used to holding itself, then your life opens up in a different way. Can you give us an example of that? Um, sure. Do you want a physical one? Oh God, here we go. Uh, yeah, sure. I wasn't ready for that, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm always game. <laughs> um, all right. So if you just um, clench your jaw, clench okay. your jaw. Yeah. And then just let it go. And clench your abdomen, muscles of your abdomen, and then let it go. And now clench your jaw and clench your abdomen and squeeze your hands together. Okay, and then let it go. All right, maybe you hold your breath as well at the same time. Yeah, I did hold my breath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so do it, do it again, do it again. And then think about turning just your body to the left, gently turning your whole body to the left. So you're tension, you're holding your, clenching your jaw, tightening your stomach, holding your fist, and you're moving to the left. And then come back to the middle and let it go. And then move to the left without doing any of that. I mean, that is totally, I mean, it's, it's, it's like night and day. Yeah. <laughs> So like within, so the context of like, you know, the book, anxiety, gravitation and sexual, whatever he, he called it, the gravity aspect is potency. Yeah. Um, so within the, like the understanding of the Feldenkrais system is that if you, if you start a lesson um, by getting a person to lie down on their back, then you've taken all of the postural, um, or the activity, you've taken down the activity of the postural muscles. So the muscles that are used to hold us upright in gravity, gravity is acting on us all the time. Yep. There's some activity to hold ourselves upright. Mm. As you lie down on your back, you let go of those postural muscles, which means your whole system is doing less work. And within the Feldenkrais understanding of things, when your system's working less, it can feel more. Um, so this is something called the Weber Fechner law, um, comes from physics and it's basically a signal to noise ratio. I mean, I think we spoke about this, you know, when we chatted briefly before, mm. um, that for example, if you're holding something very heavy, um, and a, a fly lands on you, you're not going to feel it. Um, but if you're holding a feather and a fly lands on you, because your system is not so engaged with the thing that it's doing, you're going to feel that moment where it lands on you. Distracted at that point. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Um, so, you know, that principle is kind of throughout the method that as you reduce efforts, that you increase um, sensitivity mm. and sensitivity allows you to perceive differences. So what I just did in that little short exercise show you the difference between 
what it feels like to move le left clenching and what it feels like to move left without clenching, mm. right? And your system is obviously going to prefer what it feels like to move left without clenching because it feels nicer. Yeah. And what you need in order to know that you're moving left generally with clenching is you need contrast. You need to be able to feel um, what you're doing versus when you're not doing it. You know, you need to provide the system with contrast. Um, and that's the way that our, our nervous system learns. Um, if it can feel a difference between this and that, then it's going to be able to differentiate the two and be like, I'm going to pick the easier one. Um, is that is that a case of almost tricking the brain then as well? Because um, you're like going because you're making it fully aware. Obviously, your body is feeling it, but your brain is also going to have some. It's going to be involved in the decision making. Surely, like going, okay, this is this is nicer, or I'm tired, so let's try this. Or, or are you totally overriding that? I think I think it's not tricking it. I think it's actually understanding the the mechanism that our nervous system works by. Um, so the the preference for energy efficiency is something that's really deeply ingrained in our system if there's any um thing that we can do uh using less energy that's something that's like um like well before our conscious conscious brain you know like the system prefers doing things that use less energy yeah. um you know so as you show it, as you give it examples of things that are using less energy, so for example, you're using less contraction in order to do the thing that you're doing. Um, uh, Feldenkrais calls that parasitic uh, uh, contraction or parasitic activity, you know, mu muscular effort against the thing that you're trying to do. So I want to move left and I've got tension that's making me stay in the middle, you know, so I've got resistance to go in that direction. Yeah. Um, but I think that um, the, the, the brain will be looking, the brain and the nervous system will be looking for what works better. Um, and if you can provide it examples of what works better, um, then actually it's going to pick those every single time over what works less. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, and, and that's really something that's kind of connected with the learning, like how we learn in general. So, for example, writing or playing the piano or whatever skill we're trying to refine, that as we learn that skill, um, that our system is trying to work out how we can make it more efficient, how we can do it with less effort. And it's actually the effort that um, often makes us worse at it. Um, so that it's actually, so, you know, there's this kind of idea like mastery um, if, if you see if you see what mastery is there's kind of a finesse to it you know there's like an effortlessness and you oh see... yeah okay it's almost like the people have like you know you see david beckham or, or roger roger federer you know the way they strike yeah. a ball exactly. actually roger, Fe roger federer is a perfect example because you have him who is 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 all finesse you know he's yeah. not power it doesn't look like he's he's slogging it like um, Djokovic or, yeah. or even, but the power is um, still there he doesn't mm. He doesn't like take off that much, but what he's got is a really high level of skill, mm. right? And it's, um, you see it like, you know, there's a video of, um, I, th I forget his name, uh, Jigoro, no, um, there's a judo practitioner that's like, you know, he was maybe in his eighties at the time of the video was shot. 
and he was like known to be this kind of like brutal martial artist but he was like five foot six or five foot seven tiny little guy and he in the video he's just floating around people you know looks so light and effortless and easy and you really see the skill level um but he's throwing guys that are like twice his size really built like muscular and he's just like yeah i'm just gonna float around float over here but because he's kind of got that really refined skill level it's just you know it looks effortless to him um Mm. so um in some like you know that uh that's potential for us to all achieve mastery um has at it has at its heart how we uh, reduce effort in the thing that we're doing um so if it's singing as another example if you're like an amazing singer if you're using too much effort when you're singing that's causing strain on your um your vocal cords or you know whatever part of the process Mm. if you're an amazing musician you know and you're an amazing guitarist the more effort you're using the more strain you're putting on your body you know that's going in the direction away from mastery yeah um whereas actually mastery is really this kind of like effortless quality to it so it's almost um, trying to to do the opposite to, to what you're typically told which is you know keep trying keep keep pushing through the barrier yeah it's almost like reverse that don't you know don't um stress anything at all just yeah. uh just try and calm the body calm calm the mind and then yeah. go inward i guess and then and then it's, again it's this it's it's opposite to what we're taught so i imagine this is quite a difficult um difficult thing to to uh install into, into instill into people it, it is <laughs> it is i can tell you after teaching and i'm you know i see many other feldenkrais teachers you know how often they have to remind people to not make as much effort in the thing that they're asking them to do like honestly it's such a that's a continual process with each new person Mm. myself you know like even anyone as they're going through their own feldenkrais lesson learning like how can i how can i do this thing that i'm trying to do that i find difficult with less effort you know how can i find an easy route to doing it um in um in, in terms of the you know what you're saying about like so for example like you said we're taught that you should push and you should make effort and that if it's no not pain no gain yeah if it's not painful <laughs> it's not worth doing uh, exactly and that like you know you get you achieve in life or you succeed in life by like hard effort and you know applying yourself and discipline um and in some way feldenkrais is like so completely completely countercultural to that i think that that uh, contributes to why it's not that popular yet <laughs> <laughs> yes you know it doesn't fit in because everyone yeah, just because, doing because stuff because people don't understand that yeah. that concept that actually they could work less hard and achieve more you know like yeah. that's not something that's easy for people to accept and they need the physical experience of it to go their system then goes ah Mm. oh right yeah if i do small movements and i do them slowly i can achieve the thing that i want to achieve without ever having to like make an effort yeah because i I guess like even the if you're putting um if you're straining it's putting strenuous effort in 
uh, then you feel, you know, that there's an achievement rewards, there's achieve, achievable achievement and reward system, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which comes into play. So, so how do you, I guess you have to also overcome the dopamine rush you would get from going, going pushing X amount of weights. So yeah. is there, is there, do you, is there, with Feldenkrais, do you, is there a similar mechanism or, or some similar gains that you, you get from that um, emotionally and, and um, uh, more mentally? Well, I think that um, to fully answer that question, I'd probably need a, a better scientific understanding. Mm. However, um, if you think about, you know, achievement in terms of because it, it does feel good when we achieve something that we want to right but it also feels good when we um don't have to pay for it afterwards <laughs> yeah especially when it um, comes to hangovers yeah <laughs> 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 um so i think that you know and you see this in a lot of sports or you know a lot of people that are in that very high performance, um, you know, achievement orientated jobs in their life, um, that they do also get injured and they do have quite serious, like um, like Andy Murray in his back, for example. Of course, yeah. Staying on tennis or his hip, I think it was his hip. You know, but like all of that. Um, it's you, a repetitive strain, isn't it, that, that you're putting on, on your body. Well, yeah, but I'm, like, you know, if you think about it in, in, in long terms, you can have that sense of achievement and he's a Wimbledon champion and I don't know how many other titles he's got, but he's living with recurring pain in his hip at the same time, you know? So like the payoff or the, the long-term situation, like as he gets older, he stops playing tennis, he's not doing that stuff anymore, you know, but he's you know worked his body in such a way that that injury is always going to be a part of his experience mm. so there's kind of like a longer term perspective like how are we going to be as individuals as we grow older you know like i can like you're talking about alcohol like i could go out and i could drink like you know not that i can because i literally physically can't but like drink to my heart's content every day and not worry about it because I'm relatively young and my system can recover. But all of those things are having a, an internal impact, you know, that it's asking my organs to work in a specific way, it's introducing a certain toxicity into my blood, mm. you know, it's making me, I don't know, like maybe loosen neural connections that they say like happens with like, you know, weed use or drinking, like, you know, and there's, there's an accumulative effect to all of those things. And as you grow older, like we, we at this age don't know if we're going to be paying for it. Um, one of the things that I remember saying to a friend of mine is, you know, like this kind of craze of cycling that, you know, I don't know how, like cycling is not a particularly old sport. No, right? Cycling. <laughs> 40, they do, they just uh, get all the, the lycra on. <laughs> yeah. But, but like you see people and like, they are like cycling machines you know their bodies are built to cycle they've got these calf muscles that are ridiculous their back can bend in you know like amazing ways that 
they're just like you see them on your bike and you're like wow like you're you are an athlete Mm. what what my what my thought was about it is like that obviously changes the body in a specific way you know it's like you're developing in this direction but does it have an effect or is it is it going to be useful is it going to um is it going to negatively affect you in later life you know like we don't know that stuff because we haven't gone through enough time to mm. observe the effect of some of these things that are relatively recent mm-hmm. you know so for example you see a bodybuilder that um you know as they get old the challenges that they face because of what they've done or like an nfl player that's got concussions you know like they had success and they earned money um but they came out or a boxer you know same thing they come out of it and that there's some um accumulative effect of the thing that they've been trying to achieve and you've got that instantaneous dopamine hit but what what are you dealing with for the rest of your life you know so it's a trade-off though right i mean uh, i think unless unless you're saying um and i don't think you're saying this uh but the the um sadly the feldenkrais method is not going to turn you if you're just going to do that you're not going to turn into a wimbledon champion overnight are you you are still going to have to or, or is that something you can do alongside your training is, 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 that, is, that the, is that the difference yeah i think it's it's very much i think that like if you if you read about or you investigate some of the way that federer practices mm-hmm. um he um i think it's called active attention um they you know like the high level sports stuff they're they're interested in these really small refinements in their ability right yeah yeah. so it's just like how can i just organize my body in this specific way and that's effectively what we do in the feldenkrais method but we do it for everyone you know so okay like everyone can improve the way that they move Mm. one of the quotes that moshe used is that there is no limit to the improvement of movement you know whatever that you do that you currently do you can always improve on it you can always get better um so the feldenkrais method as i would say it's not a form of exercise it's a form of learning mm. um and that learning you can apply to whatever you're doing he worked with um famous basketball players famous musicians um he worked in so many different ways with so like disabled people um you know people with neurological challenges um people dealing with injury um high level performing ballet dancers um like really anything you know um and but but the reason it can apply to anything is because it's how you approach yourself you know so if i approach myself in a way that um uh, is not um imposing it's not like um i I think we spoke about this before, but like the ex the external expectations versus our internal implicit uh, desires. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, if I've got some sense that, you know, I go to school and I've got some sense that there's some, um, some external pressure of, I need to achieve this. Otherwise I'm not a valid human being. Then obviously I work in a way um, during that period because I'm trying to match someone else's, um standards yeah you know? um and th- it doesn't it's not going to end well 
Um, whereas actually, if I come at these things and I'm like, what is it that I'm interested in? Uh, what do I want for myself? And I listen to that and I kind of like stay on that track. And I'm coming from a place that is, um, yeah, I think that the achievement and um, kind of gaining skill comes from a very different place. Um, and if you can listen to yourself and be kind and um, don't take it too seriously, play with it um, and and see the, the benefit of doing things a little slower, a little less, uh, taking more care, um, then actually you'll notice changes in yourself that will be rewarding in their own way. Um, it's very much going, you've, I say, I think you said this earlier anyway, but very much going inward. So, you know, your, your typical kind of fitness, as you said earlier, is, can be seen as very like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm muscular now and everything, but, it's, but then that may be, um, and this is much like if you're at the gym and you're just lifting big weights, it, it, it's, it's always fake muscle. It's, it's, yeah. it's not good muscle. Yeah. You're saying actually slow everything down, go really inside yeah. and then start preparing, you know, from the, from the foundations, if anything. Yeah. Uh, and that way all your movements will be more deliberate as opposed to quick, fast, and dirty, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, um, That's um, a good phrase, <laughs> fast and dirty. But I, but I think like one of the reasons why that's the case is that um, as you're slowing down and as you're doing small movements, then you're judging it by how you feel internally and you're not judging it by what other people are seeing. So it's not a performance. Like human beings, our life, it's not a performance. Um, you know, we shouldn't be... Um, holding ourselves to other people's standards. Oh, so it's, you know inside exactly, you know, it's your, exactly. it's your work, this is it's your, your inner. It's your own life, it's your own path. You need to live it in the, the way that feels right. And I think that what Feldenkrais does so well is that it provides a, a platform for very obvious feedback. And um, that feedback coming straight from the body um, and in terms of how comfortable or how easy or, you know, how effortless a movement is a very small movement, like moving your arm or turning to the left or whatever. And that feedback is immediate because the body is the, the, like the first thing that we sense, right? Um, if, if you are looking for like psychological ease or emotional ease, um, you know, what your thoughts are doing and what your emotions are doing, it's a little bit less tangible. Whereas mm. the body provides like really instantaneous feedback. If I'm working too hard, I can feel my body kind of feeding that back to me. Like, oh, that's becoming painful. You know, that's, you know, like it, it doesn't feel nice. Mm -hmm. um, so like as you go through a Feldenkrais class and as you go through continued Feldenkrais classes, the thing that you're doing is you're learning to listen to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what you're saying about this kind of like internal um, yeah. uh, motivation rather than external motivation. Um, and I mean, I guess than, you yeah, have to always jump in on that. I mean, I, is that also a part of turning the brain off? you listening to your body as opposed to your brain or, or is there some link? And the reason I ask is because you have, since you read The, um, the Power of Now, uh, but that, all, that talks about separating your, you know, you have a little voice, but then be aware of it. Don't necessarily, don't, don't necessarily always go with it because that is just a different part of you, essentially. So and I know when you, um, when you do meditation, kind of that voice can be all that you know well maybe it's just me and they just sort of got these crazy voices um but no maybe the um 
it's almost kind of like the the breathing mechanisms I've done personally. Yeah. Um, have, have all, you're so focused on that and like you're breathing quite quite heavily, like, and that that way you have to, and you're constantly focusing, and that way you can't focus on anything else, and it's a way yeah. of shutting it down. Is there something? Is there something similar you do to people to kind of quieten that noise? Yes, um, but there's kind of two parts to that answer. One being the acknowledgement that you can't really ever separate the body and the mind. Interesting. Um, that we, um, and this is something that kind of goes back to um, Descartes, uh, which is like the French philosopher, that he was separating the mind and body and calling them two separate things. Um, but actually it's, it's really not the case. Um, any thought or any sensation or feeling that you have is accompanied by muscular con contraction. Mm. It's like, you know, the, the two things that from the point that we're born, the, um, the development of our conceptualization about the world, it's all related to the body. It's all completely tied at every single step. If I think about left and right, if I think about an object, if I, you know, like an like if, if it's food, it's to do with sensation and how it makes me feel. You know, it's like the body is never separate to our ideas. Um, so I think that for me, and I have done a lot of these kind of meditation practices, and yeah, of course I've heard of Eckhart Tolle, um, but I think that one of the things that Feldenkrais and maybe Tai Chi as well, is that it actually um, gives the mind a job, and that job is paying attention to movement. And because movement is so perceptible and so obvious, it actually is a lot easier than just saying, like for example, like don't think. Think of nothing. Yeah, which is which is difficult when it's like it's just don't think of anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and that's quite good because you're almost it's, it's almost like the brain is a child, and you're going okay, like just keep and keeping yeah. you focused on this whilst we actually work on the body at the same time. Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that I did um, last year or for a couple of years was work for a, a homeless charity called St Mungo's. Um, and I went in there and I did like a weekly session of Feldenkrais for people that were recovering homeless or recovering drug addicts. Interesting. Okay. I, I kind of, you know, it was like, um, you know, the phrase cut your teeth. Yeah, like, I, was, I was like a bit of a tough crowd as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I put myself in a position where it was like, I'm really testing this method on yeah. people that are the most in need of it. You know, mm. people that are very anxious, their thoughts are, you know, really distracted. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed as I was doing that is the more I could get them to pay attention to um, just very simply what their body was doing, their minds would calm down. And I had another student who comes to my regular class say there's something, say something similar, like I've done meditation for years and within one class of yours, I've uh, felt more calm and more at ease in myself than I've ever felt doing a meditation class. Wow. And, and I'm not saying that that's me doing something special. Mm. I'm saying that the mechanism of, you know, kind of concentrating on movement and making small movements and listening to feeling and listening, listening to sensation, like, um, I don't know, what's the word? Um, it's so interesting <laughs> it feels interesting and you get into it and you're so deeply in the felt sense of yourself that when you come out of it you're like 
I feel really good. <laughs> you know, I feel really connected to myself. I feel, I feel myself, you know, I feel like myself. Um, and I think that that's kind of where it maybe it becomes a spiritual path or, you know, whatever, however you want to say it, like this, this sense of like, I want to really be who I am and I want to be capable of everything that I'm capable of being, you know? Well, in a way, I mean, you could say by, by going so inward um, and removing all expectations because it's just you, it's just you. Yeah. And you have no expectations of yourself. You just exactly. have hope. Yeah. And I think that way you're, you're not, you're not being impressioned by anyone. Like, you know, I can imagine, I don't know if you've been away on holiday by yourself or, or not traveling. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I, I did it for the first time in my early, early thirties. And it was incredible because you, every day you wake up and do exactly what you want. So, you know, yeah. when you remove the expectations of, and, and you know, family, friends, you know, it may all be, um, I don't want to say justified, but you know, with good intent. Yeah. But it can, it, it, it's, it's an expectation nonetheless. Yeah. And I think then when you are within yourself, that's, that's when you are, or you're able to channel channel this that's when you are really at peace so it does make some yeah. sense and, and especially right now where there's so much going on in the world uh, viruses or you know everything else um media just media just constantly filling us with everything anything and everything that's negative like yeah. seeing about asteroids coming now it's ridiculous um <laughs> so i think this is i say is a, it's potentially a real way to just switch that switch everything off yeah, and just going, just going here. So uh, that's that's really interesting. Where, where, where would you? So typically, I imagine your answer to this will be everyone. Um, but who would be most in at need initially of of, of of something like a Feldenkrais session or lesson? Or um, if they if they if so like, uh, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to answer that in a in a different way. So the challenge that we face as Feldenkrais practitioners is that there are obviously so many other modalities out there yoga pilates alexander technique meditation vipassana retreats this kind of retreat that kind of retreat mm. ayahuasca like you know there's whatever you can think of is available for people to do right the challenge um that i notice in myself and i notice for other feldenkrais practitioners is how do you present this stuff in a way that has meaning to people um, and that they feel that it's kind of directly relevant to themselves and their own life. Mm. Um, and I think that in a one-to-one -one conversation, I can explain that really well. You know, I can be like, you know, Jamie, I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, maybe that, that accident that you had had some physiological effect. Let's do this thing. You know, you can feel the differences, see if you like it. And then afterwards, you know, we'll come back and chat again. You know, and I, I think that one of the things that I think is the best about the Feldenkrais method is that once you've got an experience of that, um, the sensitivity and then to tell the difference between this and that, it's very obvious to your system that there's something in this stuff. You know, it's very obvious in your system that it feels nice to use less effort and it's a, a nice thing for you to do to be looking after yourself and learning about yourself and doing movement. Um, I think the challenge is then how do you differentiate Feld Feldenkrais from other modalities um, and I think that the way that I've kind of maybe done in this this interview or you know is, is to do with like 
yeah. <laughs> the chat. <laughs> but the way the way that I've done this in this you know particular um, conversation is like focusing on how we learn and our ability to learn, mm. and I think that that is something that applies to everyone. Um, and some people are maybe m more acute or more in need. Um, so, for example, if someone's injured themselves or they can't walk well, um, you know, so there's a lot of Feldenkrais practitioners that work with people with disability or like, you know, neurological challenges. And that's a whole portion of the work. Um, there's uh, another portion of the work that um, maybe comes from Feldenkrais practitioners and their own experience of playing music that they work with musicians, improving their ability, making them feel more easy. Um, there's another aspect of the work that's to do with sports performance, you know, improving someone's ability to, you know, m maybe shift their weight as they're running or, you know, like know what their spine's doing, coiling and uncoiling as they're doing explosive movement. Like there's, there's a real um, a breadth to this stuff that's because it's it's essentially about human movement, you know, and you can't narrow that down, <laughs> really. Um, so, so maybe a, a, an alternative way for me to answer that is like, how do you think? How do you think that I could explain this stuff to other people that would make it um, more relevant to them and like you know, give them a sense that there's something useful for them in it. Hmm. I think I think it goes back to the point that you made earlier with one of your students um, around how utterly pleasant or, or calm they felt, and, yeah. and obviously you get that with med you can well you do get that with meditation, you get that with yoga. Um, so I guess it's kind of it, it's 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 whether you want to um, jump in that group, but then offer a different type of. Of, of, of well-being afterwards. Yeah. Um, my, my one question is is um, around people that are paralyzed. Yeah. Are they or stroke victims that don't um, feel on one side? Did you did you know that I worked with a stroke victim for a couple of years? I, I didn't. I did do that. Okay. Yeah. And how, how was that? How was? So he had a brainstem stroke. He was okay. a 70, 71 year old guy called Barry. Okay. Um, I did care work for about three years. Mm. Um, he passed away in December last year um, because of uh, respiratory, kind of recurrent respiratory issues that he had. Um, but um, I worked with him for about two and a half years. And when I got there, he um, was in a massive amount of discomfort. His body was very locked up and tight. He couldn't sit up straight. He was kind of falling over at every moment, wow. he was dribbling, couldn't feed himself, couldn't really talk properly. Um, the, so the brain stem, the, the, the damage to the brain stem was pretty global. Um, he had lost maybe 98% of his ability to move. Wow. Okay. Um, really severe. Okay. Yeah. So it's different to a normal stroke, which is, you know, the normal strokes are either affecting one side. So you lose ability on one side, yeah. but you've still got ability on the other side. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the same. Um, so it's kind of the same in terms of that any part and I'm not sure if I talked to you about this before, but for example, um, we've got this uh, kind of image of ourselves in our brain and it's called the homunculus. Um, and it's this kind of weird figure that's uh, disproportionately um, uh, sized in, in, re in relation to certain parts of ourselves. 
Mm. So for example, our hands, our mouth, our eyes, our ears, our genitals are all really well represented on our brain. So they kind of take up a big portion of it. The rest of our body is less well proportioned. Um, so for example, if I have um, uh, some brain damage that affects my thumb, because my thumb is such an integral part of myself that I use in very many ways, and it's so um, uh, interlinked with all other aspects of my brain, that if you have brain damage to a place that um, uh, controls your thumb, it's really difficult to redevelop it. Um, whereas if you have brain damage to the area um, that uh, controls your leg, um, that is actually something that is recoverable from. Um, wow. this is, this is different to, uh, nerve damage to do with like, you know, an injury that's maybe severed nerves in the spine, which you'd lose leg use. Yeah, of course. Yeah. This is more to do with the brain. Yeah. yeah um, okay. So in that respect, so I worked with Barry for a couple of years and I was there teaching him lessons every morning. Um, he was a wicked guy. He lived in Fulham. Um, we had such a laugh, like, honestly, that was like you know, probably one of the better things that's happened in my life, um, spending that time with him. I worked either five or six days a week with him for that whole period. Wow, okay. With him for about two hours. About an hour of that was care work, and then the other part I was doing Feldenkrais and, and neurological work with him. Yeah. Um, over that period, by the end of the period that I was working with him, he was able to push down with his legs um, on his bed, so I'd tilt his bed, his, yeah. you know, the, the medical beds that can tilt. Yeah. Tilt it so he was on an angle. I'd bend his knees and okay. he push himself back up the bed using his leg strength. Really? And, wow. Yeah. And that, that, that was something that he couldn't obviously do when I got there. Um, he um, was sitting so much more comfortable. Um, he was uh, more relaxed, um, you know, was able to relate to people better. Obviously, he still had issues, you know, he had a catheter, he would get breathing problems, you know, yeah. that was part of his life. Mm. But the thing, you know, there was a certain point where I, I saw him do something or like do a mannerism or like have a laugh in a certain way. And it made me go, the thing that I'm doing is not recovering his legs or arms or whatever. I, the, th the thing that it felt like it kind of impacted me I was like I'm giving him back to himself mm. you know because I saw a look on him face that it was I saw a look on his face that he was just like I'm me you know and I think that a lot of the challenge of stroke is that people feel like that they've lost themselves you know yeah I mean I can I can attest to this my uh, uh, my mum's still suffering quite badly with a stroke uh -huh. um and uh it's yeah she she is still like her, her speech has gone backwards if anything but i think that's also been down to the care yeah, home yeah. she was put in everything else so um for me it's something uh, you know and my mum was, was always like she used to be a reiki master so very aware her mind is still working which is brilliant but she's just struggling with the, the lack of being able to communicate yeah. and then the other bit you know her right hand side is is now so her, her, she almost kind of her right arm is like a cat almost <laughs> like always yeah. just on a you know it doesn't doesn't work so yeah. um even for me I mean, i'm finding this really in interesting as a potential um 
potential route really is uh, uh, to, to help with. Uh, I, I think it's great at that stuff. It's really, um, in my own experience, and the, you know the the experience I had listening to other people talk about strokes. There's a book actually, if you're interested, um, the case of Nora, uh, which was written by Moshe at a certain point, and he worked with someone who had a stroke and really the whole case study about it. Um, so if you want to grab that and have a read of it, it's like you know. He was he was a, an amazing thinker as well as an amazing kind of worker, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, case of Nora, yeah. Case of Nora, yeah. And that comes from the title. It's influenced by his love of um, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So he was a big lover of Sherlock Holmes, and um, he had like you know extensive library of Sherlock Holmes. And um, there's, I, I can't remember the case of the Baskervilles or no, there's one that, that has that similar title name, it's the Hound of the Baskervilles, but there's one that's like the case of something. Mm. Um, and, he, you know, that book is kind of a reference to that. Um, and one of the things that he got from, I think, reading about um, Sherlock Holmes was this attention to very fine detail. Um, so, you know, noticing when someone does something in a different way, and being able to relate that with something else mm. um, and being that observative observance of someone else and their process uh, really made him an amazing um, guide in this particular work you know again I think the uh, being able to firstly have a brain like that um, and, be, and be so aware back then Perhaps, and it may, I may be wrong, but perhaps would have been a little bit easier than what it is now because you don't have, you don't have, you know, computers in your in your hands and and notifications or advertisements slapping you from every every different angle. So yeah. ultimately, flooding you, flooding your brain with just useless, <laughs> useless stimulation. Yeah. Um, so it's um, yeah, that's it's wow. This is really really interesting. Um, I just wonder, like I say, it's so interesting that why it's not as, as prevalent as, 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 it, as it should be because yeah. even some of the um some of the things i've watched on it um you know it's it's all looked a bit stuffy a bit old like you know even the, some of the films have been like from the 80s or 90s just doesn't yeah. look very yeah very modern i guess and um maybe, maybe that's maybe that's the what, what it needs is is a bit of a modification uh or just just bringing to the 21st century uh, everything the same but just you know maybe just a bit a little bit of bloody sparkle put around it just to yeah exactly to, um just i to think i think that that's that's part of the issue is because um you know as soon as you like you don't want to glamorize it because mm. then it becomes about external image again yeah so it's like you know we're kind of in that sort of like paradox like how do you I don't know, maybe it's like wholesome, you know? Maybe that's the right word to describe it. It's kind of got this like old school, wholesome, like, you know, mum's home crumble, yeah. <laughs> apple crumble or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of got that like, you know, real wholesome, you know, good for your soul quality to it. Um, and, you know, I've seen, I've seen teachers you know my peers people that are you know more experienced than me in their approaches to advertising their approaches to putting it out there and i don't think there are particularly any right answers 
Um, my myself, I think I do head down that route to do with what you were saying, to do with kind of like that um, contrast between like what you, how you can access yourself in meditation, and how movement can be useful in that in that way. And that's to do with my own inner journey and self investigation, and you know my love of that kind of spiritual side of life. Um, but equally, I teach a class on Monday nights that um, at the moment I've got a title for it, Feldenkrais for self-improvement, mm-hmm. you know, and you might think that that's kind of more of like an external uh, motivation, like, you know, that I want to improve or I want to improve myself. I want to get my body better. Um, but I think that, I think that in, in all of us, there's a desire to improve. Yeah. You know? Like there is that kind of inbuilt, like life is about, going forward you know improving what we're doing getting the most out of it feeling good and those things require you know i mean for want of a better word effort you know so it's not that effort is a bad thing like it's not um it's not bad for you to like make things and try things and you know like we've got to do that stuff um i think when we were talking about before you were talking about being self-employed you know Mm. And that, um, you know, that sense of like being your own person and being able to, to be free to do what you want. Um, that's the, the zest of life. Well, yes, yeah, so it gives you a sense of, um, I think, yeah, this when I was talking about, um, uh, I think about few. Um, and that basically what I'm trying to, to uh, I wasn't going to talk about it actually this time, but um, um, when it is launched, end of June. Uh, I, I guess the big, um, the big thing we're trying to do with that is, is tr- really try and, um, whilst help the practitioners out there, people like yourself, you know, people in, in all guises um, in holistic health, fitness and and well-being, yeah. um, help 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 kind of uh, uh, make their services more accessible to, to the to the regular person yeah. uh, that need the encouragement. Um, so whilst I want to help them, we all, I actually, the, the big, for me, the big driver is, is getting the, the person that say had, they have a couple of kids, they have a wife, you know, they are, they are the, the main provider mm-hmm. uh, for their household, whether it be the wife or the, or the husband. Um, and they may have this job that may pay, pay them a, you know, a decent salary and they have respond, but they, but because they have a mortgage, because they have kids, because they have whatever, they, they, they feel trapped. Yeah, and what happens at that point? That's when you're like, okay, when you feel trapped and unhappy within yourself, yeah, that's when things start manifesting in in in, in other guys, like addiction, yeah, or you know, alcohol, alcoholism, uh, drug addiction, sex addiction, you know, whatever. You know, it, it, we can, it doesn't have to just be addiction anyway. It could just be like, you know, just you, you come out in in. Um, so this is where like the mind body. Yeah. Um, your body's your body's part of your mind, so it's gonna yeah. you're gonna have symptoms. Yeah, yeah. things it's gonna manifest. Yeah, and, um, I think what we're trying to do is is actually give people an opportunity that okay, you, you earn a good salary. So what we can do is provide the user, you know, provide enough reassurances and, and revenue and almost revenue guarantees. Yeah, um, for them to then actually go within themselves, find out what they what is what means something to them, whether that be pottery i want to I, I want to own my own pottery studio it's like okay great that's for me that is related to the mind like you know that's yeah that's part of your spirit that's this yeah. is you yeah so then Creat- it's like creativity yeah creativity. Go, 
Yeah. Exactly. Go and do like go and do that. Go and hone your skill. Yeah. You know, find 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 out how to get to the point where you can then teach others. Yeah. And and then we can give you a platform and we'll bring people to you. Because yeah. then when you are and this goes into anything, when you're doing something you love, you vibrate at a much higher frequency. Yeah. Uh, and then that has a has a knock on effect to other people. Is this ripple, this constant ripple is that even if you're just walking down the street, people or going to a room, people pick up on it. And um, this is, you know, ultimately what we're, it sounds, sounds very hippified and, and if you met to me, me. <laughs> I mean, maybe yeah. to other people, but of, to of me, course, yeah, I know, but even, yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> people that, people that know me yeah. uh, from, from, uh, I see my, my time in London um, to, to now it's, uh, it's probably not what you would expect, I guess, but um, it's, it's something that I, I truly, I truly, I, this is why I really resonate with Feldenkrais because it's, it's all about, shutting shutting off all stimulants yeah. and only allowing yourself to stimulate yourself and it's like yeah. that's where you find you know where you know I'm, I'm big on the this um the gut you know i think that there's power in your gut you know you can feel the energy from it so it's like to, to, to um to, to light that fire basically so no i, I think this is uh, this is this is really really interesting uh, like just to just to kind of you know like follow on that like for me i think that if i were to articulate why i care about feldenkrais why i want it to be more out in the world it's really to do with it being my passion mm. you know like that's really like deep in me mm. um, there was a point where it helped me like you know deal with anxiety i was going through a breakup um you know it was massively useful to me in my life at that time and um in in a way that nothing else was you know nothing else could quite quench that experience for me but every time i did a feldenkrais lesson i felt like i reset myself i came back to myself and i was able to go out in the world again like so it was like you know a, a big psychological physical support for me um at a certain point i decided like i'm gonna do the training and that training is a four-year training mm. that it's not it's not a small commitment you know four years of your life, certain amount of money to do it. You know, it, to me, it was much like, you know, what you're saying about changing direction. I was like, this is really what I want to do. And so I wrote that. Yourself, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It was for me. Um, and, you know, but like one of the things I remember thinking about it, I remember thinking that there, part of my justification for it, part, part of my reasoning was it's incredibly good for me to go on this training but then it's also incredibly good for anyone I encounter and work with in the future. So it's like there was no negative aspect of it. You know, it's good it's, for me and it's good for others. All right, let's go. It's essentially you, you are, and I've, I remember Ferdinand saying this, um, who's on our, one of our previous episodes. It's about value. You're, you're, you're basically adding, you're, you're, you're giving people value, you're adding value to someone's life. Yeah. Um, and firstly, your own, because yeah. you, you know, unless you unless you sort yourself out, you can't help others. Yeah. Um, but then you are then going. Okay, I'm going. I'm, I'm adding value into your actual life. Not. I'm not giving you. I'm not giving you paper. Yeah. It's yeah, actually yeah. giving you something that you will take from within. Will take within, and, and this will have a have a knock on a positive knock on effect to the rest of your life. There's so um. There's a quote from Feldenkrais that I remember reading, and I'm probably going to massacre it. Um. <laughs> but it, but it was quite a long quote. So, um. But I remember reading it before I started the training and it was one of those things that I was just like, this guy, he, he gets it. Um, and it was basically along the lines of if you can teach someone to love themselves, um, 
then that is uh, worth its weight in gold. No, uh, no profession, no, like, no, I can't remember exactly the way he says it, but like, it's not something that's easy to come by a, a profession or a path in life that helps people learn how to love themselves. Mm. Um, so wherever you go in your life, whatever you do, you will always be needed because everyone needs that. Mm. Um, you know, and I think that that for me was just like, that was the, the nail in the coffin. I was like, yep, I, I, I'm on board. Well, I, I don't know. I think, I think you've just, um, unintentionally, I think you've just, you just, uh, marketed Feldenkrais. <laughs> okay, learn to love yourself again. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, yeah. the most important thing at the moment. Espe yeah. Again, especially right now with, with a year of, uh, or, you know, six months of, um, bombardment of negative, uh, mm. press and, 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 well, I'm, I'm not going to say energy actually, because I think one of the things that, one of the things I've actually noticed with the whole lockdown and everything else, despite the challenges is that people are actually happier. Mm. Um, you know, even though there, there are kind of threats to jobs and everything else, but I think it's just kind of forced them to stop or slow down and, and yeah. you know, unintentionally go within because, you know, yeah. there's a, Netflix only lasts for so long. There's no sport, you know, and I love sport, um, but, you know, that's not on. So you kind of like, you know, the, all of these typical stimulus um, have been removed, yeah. which has then forced people to look internally and be like, okay. And, and I can, honestly, I can see, I've, I'm on Twitter a lot and I could just see the types of maybe individuals that you wouldn't think, okay, they're, they're, they're now thinking a bit more energetically. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, that's, that's nice to see. So I think, I think we are going through a bit of a shift and um, yeah. I think this will. This I think will it relates, that. it relates to something that I was talking about earlier um, and something that you said in terms of like how uh, overstimulated we are, you know, there's so many things in our modern world that are grabbing our attention, taking our attention, you know, and, how often is it that we have time and attention for ourselves? Not very often, you know, um, unless you kind of consciously create it, go on a Vipassana retreat or, you know, have a daily meditation practice or whatever, whatever it is, do pottery, you know, like read a book, create time for yourself and your own attention. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I think it relates to is this sense of overstimulation um, and that signal to noise ratio that I was talking about earlier. So the more noise there is in your system, the less sensitive you become. Um, so when your system is overworking, overloaded, thinking a lot, then it's actually really difficult for you to tell what's right for you. You know, you can't feel it very easily because there's so much noise and activity. And when things slow down and when the noise reduces, um, you actually get access to um, your inner guidance system. <laughs> You know, like it's like a compass and it appears once the noise level is reduced a little bit and you feel like maybe this thing that I was doing, you know, I've done it for 10 years, but actually it doesn't feel right for me anymore, you know, but you've been going, you've been doing it and going through the motions, but you know, because you're so kind of caught up in it and life's so busy, you don't ever have time to kind of come back to yourself and reflect. Um, so I think that lockdown has done that for a lot of people. It's kind of like, let all the noise reduce and then people are like oh actually i want i really want to do this or i i don't want to do that anymore or you know this is I who that, i want. I think it will be the latter i don't want to do that anymore yeah <laughs> that's, that's going to be the thing and, and that's because 
there's um hopefully it will switch has gone off to be like what was i what was i doing before why am i wasting two hours a day traveling to yeah. a job i don't actually enjoy yeah what's what's the point yeah. <laughs> what is, you know what is what am i actually doing in my life so yeah. yeah hopefully uh hopefully i think um this will be by the end of the year hopefully we'll be everyone being a little bit a slightly better place than we are now um that's all and maybe, maybe even consumerism has been changing a little bit as well because we've been stuck in our houses mm. you don't need to go out and buy 10 pairs of trainers yeah i would say that i i still i still do <laughs> <laughs> if you see my if you see my instagram i've got like a whole i've got a ridiculous row but no i yeah no i do appreciate the fact that you don't um you know i used to go out eat out all the time like yeah that. actually um uh, I found it nicer than just to have the time to start getting, just cook more just cook more is actually because typically your your home cooked meal is always going to be nicer than than something thrown together out you know in, in, a, in, a, in a shoddy restaurant so there's, there's, there's a reason why it's called fast food right yeah yeah of course fast yeah. because there's no love in it no. you know <laughs> it's just like like I was saying about homeliness earlier you know mm. Like, you know, there is that. And, and I think it relates to what you're saying about the connection between the brain and the gut as well. Um, you know, that actually that part of our system requires time and comfort and relaxation while we digest. If our body's in this kind of constant go mode and we're trying to digest something at the same time, it really doesn't give our body the optimal um, uh, availability, energy availability in order to digest well. Well, interestingly about that, there's um, Evan was saying actually previously that if you are at seventy percent heart rate, so you know you're, you're you know so you're exercising at seventy percent. So I think this is like a a brisk walk. Yeah. Um, then your your digestion shuts off. Yeah. So then you just malabsorb. You're just exactly. you, you know so you're just it's just pointless. So. Um, so, so have you ever been in a situation where you've thrown up because you're too busy, too active? Like, so if someone, for example, if someone's under threat um, or they have a threatening situ situation, their body will get rid of the food that's in their system because it, it needs all the available energy for getting themselves out of that situation. Yeah, okay, the whole kind of fight or flight. Yes. Yeah, the fight or flight stuff, you know. So there, there's this sense that, you know, um, our, the optimal functioning of our system needs the ability to slow down and relax at mm. times you know not forever you want to be able to be active and run for the bus and like go and do stuff as well but like at times when you're digesting or you need to go to sleep you know if your brain's too busy when you want to go to sleep that's not good for you you know sleep's an important part of our system you know like we like our brain uses sleep to kind of like clear out toxins from the brain like you know pump stuff out you know like you know it's just so deep and rich mm. what our body does but for example if we stay up and we have like screen time till two in the morning um you know and then we're rushing about eating food on the fly oh like, yeah people sleep five hours and then they're up and they're just going on adrenaline that's not, it's not yeah sustainable and that's like i was saying earlier about the long-term effect of that mm. you're using your adrenaline you're using your kidneys in a specific way your adrenal glands in a specific way and that's going to take its toll when you're 60 or 70 you know and we're not and i don't know if that's a cultural difference i think in japanese culture they definitely think in a long term um in a different way you know they've kind of got this like um very high um 
uh, age age range. Um, oh, of course, yeah, they're, they're, they're the oldest. Ooh, typically, yeah. well, I don't know. Malta must be up there. There's, that's where there's everyone's a hundred on this island. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, no, it's, um, but, but then you think again. So, what's the speed of life there? You know? oh, it's a lot slower. It's brilliant over here. Yeah, of yeah. course. I think that's the um, the the frantic life that surrounds um, that support cities. You know, just again, uh, you know, are not sustainable. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, and and also the energy that that is typically in a city is, is not always good. So yeah. it's um, it's uh, something uh, something definitely worth looking at. So um, so just wrapping up then. Um, yeah. Obviously, this has been this has been so super interesting and really really good to catch up. And and obviously, we're not in the studio as you've probably noticed. This isn't quite the studio this time because uh, <laughs> of the uh, the technical difficulties we had with it. But um, we managed to make it work. Um, at least uh, the same I'm glad I'm glad yeah we've finally got this sorted out and yeah exactly um, so if people um, if people obviously want to to learn to love themselves again uh, <laughs> um, how uh, or just actually have questions around um, Fred and Christ or even even how you know the, the course you took and how you got to where you are yeah um, is there what, what's the best way to to get hold of you um, so first, my website, um, that's www.thoughtfulmovements.co.uk. Sure. Thoughtful Movements, all one yep. word. Um, and then on Facebook, you can access me access me via my Facebook page, sure. which again is facebook.com forward slash Thoughtful Movements. Okay, so Thoughtful Movements is the company, okay. Yeah, um, and I've got um, daily um, short 20-minute movement meditations that I'm doing um, every weekday at 11 o'clock, 11 uh, UK time. Okay, very um, nice. I do, I do that Monday to Friday. Um, and those are free of charge. Obviously, you know, if people are interested in donation, they can. Yeah. Um, but I'm making those available to the public during this period because, you know, obviously um, we're all going through something that's a bit different. Yeah. Um, and we need support. So. It's, good, it's good, I guess, to allow people to have a little taster of it as well. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, kind of spreading the word, getting my face out there. Um, and then I've also got a Facebook group, um, which you can find from my page, or it's just um, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash thoughtful movements. Yeah. Um, and in that, you can get the details for my weekly classes. Mm -hmm. uh, I teach a class on a Monday night, uh, eight till nine UK time. And that's um, to do with self-improvement. I teach some relatively challenging lessons in that. Uh, you think that Feldenkrais has this kind of like slow conscious quality to it, but some of the lessons, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I was teaching people how to do a headstand. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's got some dynamic aspects to it because he obviously came from a judo background. He was not shying away from movement um, right. in all its diverse aspects. It's, so it's not all laying on the bed, basically. It's not, it's not all relaxation. In fact, one of the quotes that he had was that I'm not teaching people relaxation. I'm teaching them how to wake up. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's a very different thing. It's like you want to be alive. You want to be full of life. You want to be active. Um, and relaxation is an aspect of that and having a good life, but not all of it. Um, uh, so that um, my class is Monday night. Um, Saturday, I do a class that is more in that direction of relaxation. Um, and that's another Feldenkrais class, 1 p.m. on a Saturday. And then Sunday, I have a Qigong class um, that is kind of more the Tai Chi, Qigong, energy, 
energy work, Qigong for self-healing. Um, and that's uh, 9.45 till 11 on a Sunday. Are you, so do you, are these all physical lessons or can you do them online or is there a hybrid, is there a mixture? They're all on Zoom. They're all oh, on brilliant. Zoom. Oh, yeah. wow. So okay. Those three classes, the Monday, the Saturday and the Sunday, they're all on Zoom. Oh, wow. uh, the daily 20 minute lessons, they're all on my Facebook page. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you want to, you can just like, if you watch one of them, mm-hmm. you can just subscribe to it and then it will pop up on your uh, notifications every day. Wow. Well, Joe, honestly, this has been super interesting and I'll probably um, kind of be in touch afterwards as well, just about um, even helping my mum out, yeah. <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, I'm, 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 it sounds like you're on a really, really good path. Um, and obviously it's something that has clearly been in you from a young age. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so I'm yeah, really looking forward to kind of seeing this progress for you and, uh, you know, if you can have an impact the people in the UK, Malta, even across Europe, you know, even further afield. Um, it'll be, uh, be great to kind of, in the future, let's kind of see a Netflix uh, episode with you in, like, you know, how Feldenkrais has evolved. Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop, Goop That's series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so kind of keep, keep on, uh, keep on uh, persevering with it. And, um, Thanks, man. Uh, and I'm sure you'll end up in a great place. So um, yeah, well, I, I appreciate the the opportunity to have a chat on your on your podcast. Um, that obviously helps me uh, exposure and the Feldenkrais method getting out there. Yeah, um, it's great. And uh, yeah, I'll, of course I'll share it everywhere I can. And um, if there's any any um, bits you, you need me to share, just just let me know. But um, okay. yeah, it's been been super useful. And obviously we've spoken a fair bit yeah. um, before this anyway. So uh, yeah. this is just actually added. Is it just adding more, uh, more to it, really, which is, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which is brilliant. So, uh, cool, uh, brilliant. Okay, man, we're really good to see you. Yeah, and, you too. Um, let's stay in touch, and I'll, uh, I'll see you again soon, no doubt. Yeah. All right. Enjoy, awesome. enjoy your day. We'll do. All the best. Cheers, man. Yeah. Bye.